Today's episode is brought to you by Clear Propaganda. Because what's more obvious than naming your villain Dr. Cossack, having him in a fortress evocative of classic Russian architecture, and in the middle of a snowfield? We're being led on to take on a brand new villain in 1991's Mega Man 4 on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name is Garlisle, and this show is a chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can. Today's game opens with an actual cinematic, which details, finally in-game, the backstory of Mega Man himself. Yep. That's right, we're four games in, five episodes in, and finally the games are actually going to take a step back and explain that, hey, Mega Man used to be a household service robot for Dr. Light, and he got transformed. That was because they needed somebody to fight Dr. Wily. At the end of Mega Man 3, Dr. Wily seems to have disappeared. He was buried under the rubble of his collapsing fortress, after all, right? But peace is not going to last long, and so Mega Man boards a train to head into battle once again, this time against the malicious Dr. Cost. Kind of a risky move to introduce a new villain four games into a series, but you know, they went with it. Of course, that wasn't the only change we would see in this game. One of the most visible changes immediately when you begin playing this game takes the form of the upgrades to the Mega Buster. This is actively mentioned in the opening, actually, as the, uh, I believe the new Mega Buster? Point is, is this is the first Mega Man game to allow Mega Man's basic attack to be charged up. Holding it for about a second and a half to two seconds will fully charge it, causing the attack that you launch to be slightly larger, to deal more damage, and also to pierce through multiple enemies if it happens to strike a killing blow. Unlike later games that would also have this charging mechanism, which, to be clear, is almost any single game in which you can play as Mega Man, unlike other games that have this charging mechanism, Taking damage also does not cause the charge to be interrupted in Mega Man 4, and I think this is a unique feature to Mega Man 4. The decision to have the Mega Buster become a more complex weapon like this was... Uh, it's a really interesting one, because in the previous three games you were really incentivized to frequently use your special weapons because your basic weapon was alright, but not great. By comparison, the Mega Man 4 version of the Mega Buster and onward is actually a completely functional weapon. If it wasn't for the fact the final boss of this game can literally only be hurt with one weapon, you can pretty reasonably beat this entire game with just your base buster. Depending on where you look, this is either kind of a good thing or maybe not. Of course, it could just be because the weapons in general are not quite as standout as they have been in some of the previous games, but just having a better baseline arsenal that they have to stand up against is going to make a difference, and we'll dig more into that when we get to discussing the actual weapons. Of course, that's not the only general change that's happened to the games. Mega Man 4 marks the first appearance of Eddie, a small canister robot that shows up in certain rooms, and when you approach him, will throw out some form of random power-up, from life for weapon energy to an extra life for an E-tank, it's just completely random and, hey, free stuff. Speaking of free stuff, this is the first game to actually include rooms and stages that were optional. It wasn't unusual to have, like, little tiny challenges you could undertake in the previous games. 
that were part of a given room in order to get, say, an extra E-tank. In this game, there are sometimes entire separate side rooms that mark challenges or opportunities to get at extra rewards, but that don't have to be visited at all. Also of note in this game, this is the first Mega Man game where when you pause, instead of just a small overlay on part of the screen, the entire screen actually transforms into a full functional menu that allows you to see all of your weapons at once including visual icons for them instead of just the names, but the names are there too. Might maybe be a touch worse on gameplay because it is slightly slower to pop in and out of a menu like that, but it's definitely a more distinctive presentation and helps you keep stock of the tools that you have. Coming back from Mega Man 3, we do have the Rush Coil still here. The Rush Jet and Rush Marine also appear in this game. They do have to be unlocked by defeating certain bosses again. The Rush Marine is more or less identical to its Mega Man 3 version, though this time I feel like there is more opportunity to actually use it, while as the Rush Jet in this case was actually actually nerfed into more of its current version. The Rush Jet now solely travels forward. It does not become fully freely maneuverable for you, so it isn't strictly better than the Rush Marine anymore, which still offers you free movement. Still, nerfed Rush Jet is still the Rush Jet. It's still pretty good. Anyway, let's get on to dealing with our eight new Robot Masters. Toad Man, Bright Man, Pharaoh Man, Ring Man, Dust Man, Skull Man, Dive Man, and Drill Man. Picking a random place to start, let's begin with Drillman. Drillman's stage, like you might expect, is based in an underground mine shaft. There isn't a whole lot in the way of gimmicks here, mostly a lot of enemies, but the couple screens that do rely on gimmicks are actually fairly difficult. One involves falling boulders that, when they hit the ground, they break into shrapnel. That actually makes it fairly difficult to successfully dodge them. In another section, you'll have to take blind leaps of faith into switches that are suspended over pits, because these switches will cause the next part of the stage to appear. And as long as you're actually like jumping forward into them, you will land on the ground. But it's a little bit nerve-wracking and a little bit difficult with the fact that there are various enemies flying around. This is not a particularly difficult stage, but there are a couple spots you'll want to take a little bit safer breakout weapons from other Robot Masters for. Drillman himself is a fairly random boss. He'll do one of two things. Either he'll run around towards you firing missiles, and these... These drill missiles actually deflect your shots, or he'll go invincible, tunnel underground, and then break out at your position a couple seconds later. A fairly straightforward boss, but a fairly difficult one on the fact that both his fired missiles and his tunneling underground causes your stuff to fail to hit. His drill missiles also explode when they hit the walls, which means that it's not safe to like try to dodge them up against a back wall. You actually need to be a little bit more aggressive. He's a fairly fun boss fight if he doesn't decide to just troll you by going underground over and over and over again. Uh, the next stage we'll mention is Dive Man stage, which, it's worth noting, is probably about 80% set underwater. So if you come to this stage after discovering the Rush Marine in another stage, you actually have pretty much a full stage where you can use it anywhere you like, which is kind of nice. That said, you really don't need it in this case. There's a few different spikes around and plenty of different enemies, including various uh, just floating mines that you need to avoid, but it's actually really not that hard to just traverse this stage. Probably the most difficult part is the mini-boss in the middle of the stage, which is a whale thing that fires missiles or occasionally rains mines down. One thing that actually is interesting about this stage design with regards to mini-bosses, and this happens in a few different stages in this game that have mini-bosses, is you'll pretty much always fight any stage mini-boss twice. Once in a fairly safe room where you, the only hazard is the mini-boss itself, 
And then usually in a second form where there are now pits or spikes or some other environmental hazard or just like the boss is closer to you that just gives you less freedom to deal with it and you have to do a slightly harder version of that mini boss. It's it's a pattern in this game. It happens with pretty much every mini boss you run into. One of the reasons why I've mentioned this stage early too is if you were paying attention to this stage, this is one of those stages that has a side room, but it's actually a very, very sneaky one. There's several segments of this stage where it looks like there should be a pit, but actually it just leads into a bunch of spikes, and you can clearly see the spikes. After the second mini-boss fight, however, there is one actual pit in this stage, and the fact that it is the only pit in the stage is kind of the only clue you get to the fact that you can actually fall down this and not instantly die. In fact, if you jump down this, you'll fall down a corridor of spikes, and if you make it to the bottom, you will find the first secret weapon in the game the wire. Much like Mega Man 1, we actually do have optional weapons to find and pick up. Unlike Mega Man 1, these bonus weapons are actually optional this time. There's two of them to find, they literally do just make the game somewhat easier, and they are pretty much entirely utilitarian weapons. The wire is definitely the newer designed of the two. You can only use it by pressing up and B, and then Mega Man will fire basically a hookshot straight upwards and then lift himself up to the ceiling. It is a slower version of the rush coil in practice because you just use it to get up places. But there are a few places in the final stages where the wire can allow you to skip some platforming challenges or reach a couple items that are a little bit trickier to do with just the rush coil. This is definitely not like a required thing, the way that you absolutely needed the magnet beam in order to finish Mega Man 1. In fact, I'm pretty sure the first couple times I finished this game, I never found the wire. The only hint that I had that there were things that I didn't find was that there was a couple conspicuous spaces left on the menu and... As a kid, I'd always thought that was a little bit weird. Anyway, clear through Dive Man stage, whether you pick up the wire or not, and you'll fight Dive Man himself. He's a fairly straightforward boss who follows a simple pattern. He'll torpedo himself across a flooded arena to your current location, then he'll fire out three homing torpedoes, and then he'll repeat. Now the thing to note about this is you are slowed down in movement, compared to him, who is able to torpedo fairly quickly across the stage. If you handle this boss by just constantly jumping over him and running to the other side of the arena, turning around and using your charge shot to fire through his torpedoes, you will actually have a really, really easy time with this boss because his torpedoes will stay in the line of your shots. You'll have plenty of time to react to his dives. If you don't do this, though, it can become really hard to keep up with the torpedoes, which will just keep chasing you and chasing you and chasing you. If there's too many torpedoes still on screen at a time, he will skip spawning more of them and will just keep dashing at you. He's a boss who can get out of control fairly quickly, but if you keep him under control, he's kind of a joke. Speaking of bosses who are hot jokes, Toadman stage. Toadman stage is one of the coolest looking stages. It begins by crossing like an industrial area while it's raining, and the rain actually does, like, you can visibly see that the wind is strong and pushing the rain around. That pushes you around mid-jump too, so you have to account for that. Then you get into, like, kind of like a flooded aqueducts area, and in this area the currents and even the the cascades of water coming down from the roof will limit your jump height or push you forward and back alongside the current. It's actually a fairly difficult stage, but kind of a really fun one. Probably the most famous part of Toadman's stage, though, is Toadman himself because he is a hot joke. If you jump or attack, he will attempt to jump to your location. That's not that bad. You can just force him to keep jumping at you and attack him and beat him that way. Or you can not do that. 
And if you don't press A or B, Toadman will raise his arms and start doing a little dance. And if he's allowed to finish this dance, you will take damage as he covers the entire screen in a rainstorm. However, a charged buster shot or his weakness weapon will knock him out of this. And then he will just stand there and he will start doing it again. <laughs> and you can literally loop this dude into just standing there and taking shot after shot until he dies if you get the pacing right. It is... Once you realize what's going on with this boss, it is an incredible embarrassment if you manage to die to him. I might have done it. Just take your time, and when he starts wiggling, punch him in the face. That's it. That's Toad Man. <laughs> Establish dominance, win fight. Another fairly simple stage in boss that I'll mention is Skullman stage, which does have a really cool theme of basically being about climbing around on what almost looks like an archaeological dinosaur dig. Most of the stage is made out of sections of bones. You can see, like, full dinosaur skeletons in the background. Even the enemies in the stage oftentimes sort of fit this motif of decay with things like robotic maggots crawling around or skeletons that appear and throw bones at you. The stage is actually very, very simple platforming-wise. The gimmick is more that a lot of the enemies in the stage have some form of protection against your attacks, like enemies that have to be hit only while they're running away from you, or like those skeletons, if you don't hit them with a strong enough attack, they'll just collapse and then build themselves back up three seconds later. Skullman himself is, he really doesn't do much that special. He jumps around, he fires some basic shots. The main trick that he has to the fight is after he jumps around, he'll throw up a barrier and that barrier will last a random amount of time from like half a second to like three seconds and only once he drops it will he actually be vulnerable to any attacks but that'll also be when he resumes attacking so you have to kind of have these like standoff moments with him nothing really that special i guess then we'll hit the halfway mark with dustman stage <laughs> Dustman stage is notable for a few different things. One is that it's actually a stage set in a junkyard, which is a really cool and slightly creepy aesthetic to go with for a stage in a game about robots. It also has some really, really dangerous sections to it. In the first screen, we run into possibly what is one of the most hated enemy types in Mega Man. And I'm not talking about the birds with the eggs from back in Mega Man 2. This is... I don't know what they're called. I call them pit jumpers. Basically... You'll go to jump over a pit, and this little enemy will just soar straight up out of the pit. If you try to just run and jump over it right away, this thing will hit you, and you will fall back into the pit, and you will die. There's no warning about which pits this is in, though generally speaking, the games follow a rule that if a screen has these enemies in it, all the pits on that screen are going to have that enemy. And as long as you, like, pause for a split second at the edge of the pit, or, like, do something to protect yourself with another weapon, you don't have to worry too much about them. The nasty part about this is just surprise and you die. It's when you're not expecting these things, and this is the first time that these guys appear. There's also a really infamous section of this stage that involves crushing presses from above. Most notably, you'll have to like mind your way through a bunch of blocks that are moving in these compressors in order to actually cut yourself a path 
through which you can get out the other side without being compressed and killed. The scariest part is there is a tight section at the end of it where you have to use your buster to mash through a wall really quickly and use your slide probably to get through or take advantage of some sort of weapon immediately before this like clump of wall that you need to dig through. The ceiling is too low and will crush you if you try to run away at the last moment, so you just have to go. It's sort of not really that bad, but it's also like really scary the first time you run into it. It's otherwise a fairly simple and straightforward stage, but the dangerous parts of this stage are definitely very dangerous. Now, one cool thing that we do get is that when we reach the boss arena, we do get a cameo appearance from Mega Man DOS, because in chambers next to us is a trash fire. Then we move on and we deal with Dustman himself. Again, a fairly simple boss. He has he has a projectile that he fires at you, which splits into shards when you are jumping over it, so you want to make sure that you only jump straight up to go over it. Otherwise, he will try to draw you in Magnet Man style while invincible. He's very, very familiar boss mechanics at this point. The, the bosses in this game are decidedly kind of simple, or maybe I've just been covering the really simple ones at the moment. They save most of the complexity of boss designs for later in the game this time, and Dustman fits a habit of being like extremely simple to learn and really not dangerous at all, so that's that's kind of a nice reprieve after how tough his stage is. Next we'll head into space for Ringman stage. It's not quite space, actually. It's like we're climbing out of the stratosphere for some reason, though. The two key aspects of Ringman stage. The first is the laser platforms. There's platforms that are basically made out of light, and once you step on them, a gap will start traveling through the platform that you'll need to jump over. Once you get a habit of what those look like, it's actually really easy to handle them, but they are kind of like a fun and memorable simple platform challenge. The other thing that makes Ringman distinctive is his stage has two different mini-bosses that then follow the mini-boss pattern of having to be fought twice, and they don't even have really that much different. They are slightly closer to you in their default location the second time, so you have slightly less room to dodge them. And also, one of the mini-bosses is a hippo on a platform that you need to knock the platform down first in order to strike the hippo, and the other mini-boss is just a series of like rings made into a slinky with eyeballs that occasionally attacks you and is vulnerable during that time. It's, I don't know, it's a weird little stage, but kind of fun. You get your big combat challenges, and then you get your platforming challenges, and they're fairly distinct. They don't really do much to interweave them. Ringman Ring Man is like a lightweight version of Metal Man or Quick Man in that he likes to just like jump straight up and down and fire boomeranging ring projectiles at you and then cross over to the other side of the screen. Fairly consistent, mostly. He is... He is actually surprisingly tough. The arcs on his shots are kind of tough to completely dodge, but they're not super dangerous, and the fact that his positioning is fairly predictable makes him pretty easy. Next, we'll head to what is probably, I think, one of my favorite stages in this game, and maybe one of the more memorable ones is Feral Man stage, which is based on the name Feral Man. It is exactly what you think this stage is. You get sinking quicksand desert you have to cross with scorpion bots coming out of it and then you descend down into a tomb where there's like mummies coming out of walls and trapped platforms that shoot at you and very very on point stage in terms of thematic it's not super tough it also has the other secret weapon in the game rather than descending into the tomb at the start of the stage 
jump over the entrance using the rush coil or the rush jet or something and continue on to the right and you'll cross a little bit more desert and pick up the balloon. The balloon is basically item one from Mega Man 2, which is to say it's a deployable platform in front of you, which gives you a huge amount of scaling. Item one was a lot of fun to use back in Mega Man 2 and it can be just as fun in this one. Most importantly, in Mega Man 4, if you pause the game, any active weapons will be like cut short, so you don't have to wait for platforms to despawn after using the balloon before you can swap to a different weapon. Pharaoh Man himself might be the most difficult of the eight robot masters because he is very, very random and very aggressive. He likes to jump directly at your location, oftentimes while covering his advance by throwing additional shots at you. Every once in a while, you get lucky and he'll stop and charge up for a second and then fire like a large wide shot straight across the screen. But it's just going straight across the screen and it's very easy to see where that's going. That is actually kind of a reprieve when he decides to just harass you by jumping straight into your face that Feral Man becomes dangerous. Our last Robot Master stage in this game happens to be Brightman stage. Brightman stage immediately tutorializes its main gimmick, which is there are two major types of enemies in this stage. One is like a hovering hologram bot thing that fires occasional spreads of shots, and the other is a little green walker bot that does nothing except shoot up some fireworks when you defeat it. The catch here is that first enemy type, if you decide to destroy it, will actually cause the room to go dark, preventing you from seeing the main platform and any pits and stuff. By comparison, shooting the little green walking robot will cause its fireworks to light the room back up. This covers the main gimmick of the area and the main challenge that you'll face is you actually don't want to destroy the enemies in most of the stage. The other half of the stage, weirdly, is areas where you're riding grasshopper robots that are jumping over spikes and having to shoot down these like multi-headed totem bots that are in your way. I found out something genuinely amazing while replaying this game this week. From the sounds of what I just described, you would think, oh, I can just rush jet over these sections if I have the rush jet. And you can. But if you actually do this, the totems will jump into the air to ram their face into you while you pass over them on the rush jet. I didn't know they did this. And it, I, I, I had to stop for like 15 seconds because I was laughing so hard because I did not expect a totem pole to jump at me. <laughs> for trying to cheat my way through a section. Anyway, speaking of cheating, Brightman. Extremely simple boss, again, jumps and occasionally fires a couple shots in a loose spread. It's super easy, except at certain points in the fight, Brightman's bulb will flash and you will be basically time-stopped a la Flashman until you take some damage, or if you're really lucky, he won't hit you in the time that you're stopped. It might sound like this is kind of a cheating boss, and it is if you don't actually know what the secret is. Bright Man only uses his time-stopping ability at extremely specific intervals of his HP. He uses it when he has 16 health left, 8 health left, and 4 health left. If you take advantage of your weapons in such a way that he never hits those exact numbers, he will never actually stop time. And I do mean those exact numbers. If you take him from 6 health to 3 health, then he didn't have 4, and he will not trigger that ability. It's a really weird to have a boss's mechanic be so subtle in a Mega Man game? He's still not hard. If you make it to him with enough health, he's got a simple enough pattern you probably won't die, even if like you hit all three time stops and he decides to jump into you, which is where he does the most damage. But he can feel a little bit cheap the first few times. And that covers our eight Robot Masters, so let's get equipped with some weapons. <laughs>
as usual, we'll be covering the weapons from what I think are the worst to the best, although in this case it's a little bit awkward. I don't think any of the weapons in the game this time are super standout. Very few of them were actually completely useless, but they also just... I don't think any of them felt super great. I don't know, we'll get to that. My vote for the worst weapon in this game is actually the dive missile. This torpedo is, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a homing weapon. It fires off a shot that curves its way towards whatever enemy is available on the screen. Interestingly, unlike, say, the way that Magnet Man's weapon would occasionally home in on things that weren't actually enemies, dive missile is fairly smart in its targeting. If there isn't even a vulnerable enemy to it, never mind just an enemy, but if there isn't a vulnerable enemy, Dive Missile will just make its way off screen and leave. That said, that's about the smartest part of the weapon because honestly, the rest of it, the homing, sometimes enemies get caught right next to it, but it has like a turning radius that is fairly slow, so it can end up like circling around enemies, and until the Dive Missile actually hits something, you can't fire another one. It's a slow, generally not super powerful weapon that just, I didn't find myself using it except for against Drillman, who is specifically weak to it. The Drill Bomb, Dust Crusher, and Ring Boomerang I'm putting all at about the same level because they are all almost the exact same weapon. The Drill Bomb is a straightforward shot that technically causes a small explosion where it hits, or you can press the button again to detonate it early if somehow you need that explosion radius. The Dust Crusher fires a projectile that splits into shrapnel when it hits. Most of that shrapnel is actually going to strike the original target, so it's not really going to like fly off and hit other enemies. And the Ring Boomerang is just a forward boomeranging shot, kind of like the Shadow Blade, but without the ability to be aimed. All of these are literally just forward projectiles that do some damage. They are slightly more effective against different bosses and enemies each. For instance, you can use the Ring Boomerang to hit things that would be shielded. The Drill Bomb and Dust Crusher tend to, like, two-shot most tankier enemies, but I have to say all three of these feel basically like they're almost the same weapon. I think I might give slight advantage to the Ring Boomerang in this case, because, like, the other thing about these three weapons is these are the three weapons that, like, every single boss in the remaining stages of the game are weak to, minus one weapon that we'll get to that is specifically for the last boss. These three weapons take out all of the fortress bosses, other than that, and it's just really hard to put them, like, one above the other, because they're all just really similar. Breaking into the second half, though, we do have the Rain Flush from Toadman. The Rain Flush is limited to, I think, only eight shots, which is a little bit it's very, very restrictive. But what it does is fires a pod up into the air, and then like a second and a half later, the entire screen gets hit with a rainstorm. It literally hits your targets regardless of where they are on the screen, which means it's good for taking out enemies on other platforms from you, it's good for taking out enemies above you, it's good for harassing like mini-bosses that are out of range and would be a little bit awkward to hit otherwise, and it does a fair amount of damage. For the fact that it has so little ammo, most enemies will get one shot by it, and the enemies that don't generally can be two-shot by one of the three weapons I just mentioned. It is only a weakness for Brightman. Interestingly, it does exactly as much damage to Brightman as ammo it consumes, so you need a full gauge to take out Brightman with it. That said, if you want to take out Brightman with it, fire a single regular Mega Buster shot at Brightman before you start hitting him with the Rain Flush. This offsets his HP so that he never hits any of his thresholds to cause him to stop time. Sneakily, if you don't do this, the Rain Flush very specifically will cause Brightman to stop time all three times. Speaking of Brightman's weapon, the Flash Stopper. Wait, hold on. Okay, 
First off, it drives me nuts that this is called the Flash Stopper, and it comes from Brightman, when Flashman's weapon was the Time Stopper? Why are we doing this to ourselves? <laughs> okay, the Flash Stopper is basically an upgraded Time Stopper from Flashman, and that makes it actually pretty good. It stops time for about five seconds after use and consumes only a small amount of energy. The biggest difference between the Flash Stopper and the Time Stopper, other than the fact that you can like use a chunk of it now and then save the rest of it for later, the biggest difference for the Flash Stopper is that you still have access to your regular Mega Buster. Not, not the charged form of the Mega Buster, but just regular shots while time is stopped, which means you can actually deal with enemies that you stopped. In fact, it's fairly common to use the Flash Stopper to freeze up mid-bosses while they're vulnerable to just wail on them, or to get through some dangerous rooms. It's just a really good, like, time-freezing weapon. It's well done. Next up was the Skull Barrier. My initial thoughts about the Skull Barrier was that it might actually be kind of trash, because it's fairly weak. Any enemy with any significant HP is not going to die to it. It's not exactly necessarily ammo efficient. It's not a huge ammo drainer like the Flash Stopper and Rain Flesh are, but you don't have like a ton of uses of it. It isn't just literally not good against bullets. It actually breaks if it hits a bullet, which is not particularly useful at all. The main power of the Skull Barrier, though, is it is a rotating shield once you activate it that sticks with you as you move. So you can take jumps probably even safer than you could with the top spin, and not have to worry about colliding with enemies or certain destroyable projectiles or anything like that as you're platforming. The Skull Barrier is a crap weapon to use as an offensive tool against most things, but the fact is, is there are several rooms in the game where the Skull Barrier just makes things way easier. Those pain-in-the-neck enemies that pop out of the pits at Dustman stage? Turn on the Skull Barrier and jump. You're fine. Have to platform across like spikes or pits or something and there's enemies just hovering around in the room? turn on a skull barrier. When it is good, it is good. When it is bad, you're trying to use against Dive Man, who does a ton of damage if he runs his face into you and is constantly throwing projectiles that break the skull barrier. The skull barrier is his weakness. It does more damage to him, but it requires you to get up close and endanger yourself, which is bad weapon versus boss synergy. But as far as the actual skull barrier for just stage traversal, I ended up really liking the skull barrier. Finally, we get to the Pharaoh shot. The Pharaoh shot is aimable in six different directions, not straight up or straight down, and you can charge it up to create a much larger projectile. And while charging it up, you can actually, like, the charge shot holds above your head like some sort of spirit bomb, and you can ram that spirit bomb into an enemy, and then when you release the button, you will also fire a fully charged shot. So it can actually be better than your basic Mega Buster's charge abilities. Its aimability is really nice. It is limited, though, in that it is one shot at a time, and it doesn't have nearly the ammo efficiency of some of the other aimable weapons we've been seeing recently, like the Shadow Blade and especially the Meadow Blade. If you charge up the Pharaoh Shot, you get like 12 shots out of it and then you're out, which really isn't that much. Again, it just kind of shows like a consistent pattern of like an aimable weapon is actually just a really good weapon in these games. And in this case, it does have the ability to spend some of that ammo to basically upgrade your Mega Buster. I still don't think it is a stellar weapon, but there's a lot of people who would say the Pharaoh Shot is the best weapon in the game, and I, I think I can agree with that. Fully armed as we are now, let's head into the fortress of Dr. Cossack, mastermind of the robots. Cossack Stage 1 
begins pretty familiarly, breaking into the fortress from outside. This time we get the winter theme added on, which means that we now have, on top of our usual platforming challenges, we have ice physics to deal with, and ice physics that lead to us jumping over pits, which have those those pit bots jumping out at you. Yes, break out the skull barrier, but also that's not the only enemy in there, so the skull barrier can't deal with everything. It is kind of rough. There's a section towards the end that you do want to use like the balloon or very careful use of the rush coil or rush jet to get across. It's a fairly familiar stage to like Mega Man 2 or really the opening stages of most of the fortresses at this point. The boss this time, unlike Mega Man 2, is actually really not that bad. It's a large moth bot with a single glowing weak point. It flutters around, occasionally fires shots. The main danger of it is that occasionally it will drop a drill at the bottom of it down into the ground and break a chunk of the floor. And if it hits the same chunk twice, there will actually now just be a pit in the arena that you can straight up fall through, which means you're on a little bit of a time limit. But this boss isn't too bad. The main thing that makes it difficult is its weak point, while very visible, is very small. And there's a weirdness with a lot of Mega Man 4 weapons, where most of them are actually very, very small hitboxes. Like, the Ring Boomerang is a good example of this, because it is the boss's weakness. The Ring Boomerang is, like, about half the size of Mega Man himself, but the actual hitbox is, like, a pixel in the center of it, which, combined with the, the small hitbox of this Mothbot, it can straight up look like you hit this boss, but actually you didn't, because you just fired slightly too high or too low. That's the main challenge of this fight, though. Cossack Stage 2. This is another early stage that early in the stage you'll need to use some climbing tools like the balloon and the rush coil. There is a segment that will mandate the use of the rush jet, but this one, compared to other previous mandatory item use segments, is very, very short, and it's all pulled into the first half of the stage, which is really good, by the way. If you die against a boss during Cossack's Fortress, the checkpoint is not immediately before the boss, it's actually back at the halfway mark. For these first two stages that have the, uh, hey, you need to use traversal weapons, all of that is before the checkpoint. This is the last time in these stages that you need to use the items to actually traverse. The remainder of this fortress has a lot of, like, optional items you can snag and stuff if you have energy for these traversal items still, which is nice design, or like you can use the items to shortcut through certain platforming challenges, but it will never again require you to do it. Again, they seem to have learned from the weapon screw that was frequent in Mega Man 2. One other thing I'm going to note is these fortress stages, in this game they really really like reusing stage segments and elements and enemies from the stages that you've been through in the fortresses in this game. So I don't necessarily have a whole lot to say about the stage itself. I do have something to say about the weird-ass um, room bot. Um, okay, so the boss at the end of the stage, you step out onto an empty platform, and then parts of a room fly in from the side. And they can, like, if they catch you against a wall, you'll take some damage as you get, like, shoved around through them. Mostly you're supposed to, like, slide under them or, like, jump through them. It's it's really weird to describe. When they come in at their slowest speed, they will actually lock together in the center of a room and create a chamber with moving platforms and a target at the top that you'll be able to attack for a couple seconds while it fires at you. And then the room will break apart and split off again. It's a really weird boss. It's also honestly not a terribly fun one. There's a lot of just waiting downtime, and once you realize you can slide under the bottom section of the floor, it's not even like that part of its quote-unquote attacks is any danger to you whatsoever. 
it's just going to be an irritating boss and a long one if you don't realize the dust shot is what it is vulnerable to. Cossack Stage 3 has us climbing across the rooftops of the fortress in actually an auto-scrolling segment. That said, the auto-scroller doesn't really have much in the way of new gimmicks or anything. It's pretty slow, and there aren't a whole lot of like hazards or enemies going on in it. It's very easy to play the stage. It's just kind of interesting that there is an auto-scroller. The boss itself, actually, the arena is three small platforms in the middle of a room that is just covered in spikes. And then you have a couple robots that emerge and like walk around the outside of the room, including along the floor below you and stuff, and just fire occasionally at you. There's a couple different weapons that work on this boss. Most notably, the Pharaoh shot is really good against this boss because you can aim it downwards and so you can hit the bots below you. Simple and straightforward, more unique because of the arena choice. Cossack Stage 4 is, again, most of the stage elements here are reused from previous stages. The most interesting part of the stage is actually the fact that it does have the first branching path in the series. There is actually a point at which you can opt to go just basically a completely different route through the next couple rooms. There isn't really anything super significantly different about these two paths, but it is two completely different set of rooms you'll challenge. At the end of it, we fight Dr. Cossack in his crane game. He's suspended in like a giant crane from the center of the arena and occasionally either fires bullets at us or tries to like close in on us and basically crane game us and drop us into the floor. It's kind of a goofy and silly boss and it's tanky. It takes a bunch of hits to defeat it, but it isn't that hard. Still, we shoot down Dr. Cossack and something unexpected happens. Proto Man shows up from back in Mega Man 3. He's only there long enough to drop off somebody. A young girl who identifies herself as Kalinka, Cossack's daughter, and tells us that Dr. Cossack isn't actually evil. He's just being ordered to act this way by Wily, who'd been holding Kalinka hostage. And then Wily shows up, because of course Wily shows up, and he's just like, oh goddammit, Proto-Man, how dare you betray me like this? Alright, fine, Mega Man, you're on. <laughs> and with that, we head into the second half of this game's endgame, the Wily Fortress. That's right, Mega Man 4's endgame is not a four-stage Cossack fortress, but actually eight stages spread across a total of two different fortresses. Of note, if you retrieve the game with a password at this point, you'll be back at the start of Cossack stage meaning you've got to do eight stages in a long gauntlet. This is almost as long as the rest of the game was. Fortunately, the fortress is going to make a point of dropping a lot of weapon energy, which is good, because you're going to be using a lot of it. This easily could have been worse for weapon screw than Mega Man 2, but minus the final boss, they were careful to ensure that you would never actually need to have specific weapons again. The Mega Buster's good enough. Anyway, Wily's Fortress Stage 1 is a lot of familiar pieces of Wily's Fortresses. We get a water segment with spikes that we have to very carefully jump around so we don't jump too high. We have a Yoku block section to cross, and we have a stage that is filled with Metars. And only Metars, and different variant Metars. And the reason for that is because at the end of the stage, there's a giant Metar boss. The boss is actually kind of dangerous, to be completely honest. 
he's big and makes heavy jumps that can stun you, and whenever he lands, he'll go invincible again by hiding under his shell while a bunch of metars drop down from the ceiling at random locations. I find it very hard to avoid taking damage against this boss, so you kind of want to beat him quick. Wily Stage 2, moderately challenging stage, but not because of anything new. Most of it is tight corridors and opportunities to take like slight variant paths, which will either let you skip enemies or get you extra health and stuff at the cost of weapon energy to access those paths. The boss fight at the end of the stage is a little bit tricky though. It's basically a cannon artillery sitting at the top of a platform that its one weak point is too high up for us to hit, so we need to jump onto various platforms attached to conveyor belts and slowly ride them up while dodging the shots in order to get into position to actually hit. This boss is tricky because if you get hit, you'll probably be knocked off the platforms and have to start climbing back up. Whereas if you can manage to avoid the projectiles, you can stay in a place that makes it much, much easier to hit him more frequently and take him down fairly quick, is what I'd say. But he is on a raised platform, and if you position yourself right, you can actually sort of jump onto like the very corner of that raised platform without coming into contact with the boss itself, and then you can just jump from that to hit its weak point and take him down fairly quickly. That basically ends the non-boss parts of the Wily's Fortress. I do want to reinforce a theme that I noticed throughout these stages, which was that after the first couple stages, you again, you never really needed specific weapons in order to progress or beat bosses or anything, but very, very frequently you were incentivized to actually use those weapons and those tools to access additional power-ups or take down enemies easier. I think that's a really good way to design a final gauntlet for a Mega Man game, is to just incentivize you to actually use the tools that you have, instead of running that risk of, you know, you must use those tools or else that's it, game over. Anyway, Wily Stage 3, we get a couple weapon capsules, and then it's straight on to the boss rush. I have noted most of the bosses in this game are fairly easy, but that's mostly because I don't think their damage is particularly high. If you have a decent amount of HP for any given fight, most of the bosses are not too tricky, but it is hard to perfect a lot of the bosses in this game, i found, and so the boss rush is a little bit tougher than some of the previous ones, especially because weapon weaknesses don't tend to be as exaggerated as they were in the previous games. You're still going to have to put up a legitimate fight against most of them, except Toad Man, because lol Toad Man. What's actually really dangerous in Wily Stage 3 is the Wily machine that you fight after defeating these. It's just a big hovering machine reminiscent of the first couple Wily machines, but this one has a big cannon on the front that fires some very, very big shots. It's really hard to jump over these successfully and avoid getting your face just caved in by them. The weak point of this boss is actually at like the very peak of your jump as well to hit it, which makes this boss very tricky to hit. If you still have some drill cannon left over, this is the one time where manually detonating the drill cannon can actually be to your advantage because it does extend the hitbox up a little higher, enabling it to actually hit, and it is this boss's weakness, sort of, along with the ring boomerang. If you don't have those, this boss is actually going to be fairly tough, just because, like, even more so than the previous Wily machines, you have to deal a lot of damage, and it is very hard to avoid taking chunks of damage in return. Fortunately, you probably have some E-Tanks to spare when you get here, but man, this, this was a tough one. But this time, when we take down the Wily Machine, that's not the end of the game. We have one final fall to take in the final stage, and then a pretty simple corridor to go through, and then in Wily Stage 4, we have our first ever showdown with the Wily Capsule.
Friendly Capsule comes with its own unique theme song and its own unique boss fight. There is no arena in this boss fight, but the floor that you are essentially standing on is about halfway up the screen instead of towards the bottom. What you will see in this fight is a ring of shots coming together, and then when they coalesce in the center of their circling, they'll fire a really quick shot aimed directly at you. But at the same time, somewhere on the screen, you'll catch a glimpse of Dr. Wily in his capsule. This, this can be above you, this can be below you, it can, it can be basically anywhere. And that is the brief moment that you have in order to actually hit. It, it does actually linger for like two seconds after you see it, but then it teleports to somewhere completely unknown. The only weapon that hurts the Wily capsule is the Pharaoh shot, which is good. Other than the Rain Flush, that's the only weapon that could really reliably hit the Wily capsule with how many random locations it can be in. But still, it's it's really, really tough to perfect this boss. It's hard to dodge the incoming shot. Even if you know where it's coming from, it's a very, very quick shot. Positioning yourself almost immediately afterwards to be able to hit Wily wherever he shows up is genuinely pretty difficult. Still, this is the only part of the stage. If you die, you may have to game over in order to refill your weapon, which sucks. It's been a problem in the last two games as well that the final boss is only damageable by one weapon. <laughs> but at least it's a really, really short stage afterwards to get back to him. Just straight up, just fight him. Once you break the capsule, Wily goes flying out and starts begging for forgiveness, and that's it. Just kidding. Wily manages to escape through a secret passage and starts the self-destruct sequence on his fortress. Mega Man runs off while Dr. Wily flies off. That's it. His fortress is gone, his scheme is foiled, Kalinka's been returned to Dr. Cossack, and for the time being, all is right, I guess. Roll credits as Mega Man catches himself a train home, basically mirroring how he started the game. And kind of tying together the way that this game explained the whole series up to this point with the actual intro sequence detailing Mega Man's story, even the Robot Master roll call at the end of the game plays a remix of the theme from Mega Man 2. To wrap this game up, we will talk about a couple of standout tracks. Mostly this game's music carries very much from what they figured out how to do in Mega Man 3 and continues it, but there are a couple tracks that I think are particularly standout. Toadman, given that it's in like a partially flooded facility in the middle of a rainstorm, actually somehow sort of manages to capture that feeling. There's this really nice bit to the music where it gets this like echoey tone to it that really does make it sound like you're in some sort of aqueduct system and are hearing music from outside. It's, it's just really neat. Another track I'd like to call out is the ending theme while you are on that train ride back home. It is fairly melodious and a tiny bit emotional maybe, but most importantly there's this really interesting thing going on with the percussion and bass that actually is kind of reminiscent of the sounds of a train with the melody changing to reflect the different areas the train is passing through. It's, it's kind of a nice piece for that.
big track that I'd like to pay some attention to today is Pharaoh Man's theme, because heck yeah, this sounds exactly like what you would expect from an Egyptian-themed Mega Man stage without actually having access to advanced instrumentation. Much later in the Mega Man series, there is a remix of this stage's theme that is a standout piece on an already standout soundtrack, but I still love the original a ton as well. Pretty heckin' nice. I have heard arguments before that starting after like the first three or so Mega Man games, the quality of the actual weapons you acquire during the Mega Man games tends to get a little bit shoddier, and I can kind of agree with that. Maybe it's just because they already had 24 different weapons to begin with, and we're definitely starting to see some patterns, some reuses of boss ideas. I can understand people who might say this one's a tiny bit stale. I still really had a lot of fun with this game, but it definitely does have a hard-to-place feeling of being a bit different from its predecessors. That said, if you're a Mega Man fan, I think you will enjoy playing this game. It's not like it's actively bad. It's just that I think they might have made the Mega Buster too strong and forgotten to really make weapons that were still, like, noticeably stronger than it to really justify it. But in other ways, I do think that the design of this game, the second half of this game, really encourages using weapons without demanding the use of weapons anyway, so it's it's tough. Good game, maybe not a must-play for the series, but also if you're playing the classic series anyway, go ahead and play this one and you'll enjoy it. With all that said, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm available at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, as in the number 4. Stop by waipf.podbean.com for an RSS feed, direct download, or hit us up on whatever podcast service you like in order to listen to some more episodes. I don't know what my next episode is going to be, because at the moment I am offline and I use Google Docs to track my list, but I'm pretty sure it's actually not Mega Man 5. It might be a shorter episode, and it might not just be covering one game. We're going to have to see exactly how this is going to work out, until then, once again, thanks for listening, and remember, of course it's Dr. Wiley. It's always Dr. Wiley. <laughs>